Morning, church. Jesus' disciples came to him and asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And what Jesus gave them in response to that request were words. Not instruction. I think that would be an option and probably one that most of us would expect. Teacher, teach us something. Teach us to pray. And so he'd give us a lesson on prayer. Maybe a series that stretches out from January to February to March. (laughs) But no, Jesus doesn't just give instructions. He gives them words to pray. In other words, he wants them to take them and to make them their own. Words given through Jesus, from God, through Jesus, that the people of God, the followers of Jesus, would then turn back to God, right? That's what we have spent this time. Not only um, studying, thinking about, hearing Scripture, reflecting on these things, but praying together these words. And so I'm going to invite you now, as the Lord Jesus has taught us to pray, so we say together, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory. The glory are yours. I guess I should say is yours in that case. I want you to hear this passage. This is from the Gospel of John. If you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, I'm going to start reading at about verse 20. And if not, that's okay. You can just listen carefully to the reading from John 20, uh, John 12, beginning at verse 20 today. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, serves me the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. This is the word of the Lord. Let us give thanks. God, we are grateful for the gift of your word. 
living, eternal, and true. We pray that the kingdom, the power, and the glory would be yours. That you would glorify your name. Help us to listen. Help us to hear. Speak, O Lord, by your word and by your spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Glorify your name. Some of us uh, have sung that, those words before. You know the song, Father, we love you, we worship and adore you. Glorify your name in all the earth. Do you recognize that song? Some of you may have sung that song in church enough times that um, you've not connected the dots, that actually those were the words of Jesus in John chapter 12. Glorify your name. Father, glorify your name. Jesus, we love you. Glorify your name. Holy Spirit. Glorify your name. Those three words, glorify your name. Can you hear them? Maybe it depends on what you hear in the thunder. My wife doesn't like the thunder. You can ask her after church. Maybe you're like that too. Some of you, thunder lovers, thunder's not so much. Some people, when the big, I'm talking big, crashing, booming, thunder, that sort of rattles the house and shakes the windows. And when that happens, you sit up straight and then you run and hide. How many of you are like that? My wife doesn't like the thunder. I, on the other hand, as is the case in many of the stories I tell you about my wife and I, are exactly the opposite. <laughs> I'm exactly the opposite. I love the thunder. The bigger the crash of thunder, the bigger the flash of lightning, the bigger the rumble the better. Give me more of that. I want to run to the thunder, right? My friend Michael, I've talked about before. Um, I tell Michael stories too because we go way back. He preaches in Sweetwater out in West Texas, and he's a, a fabulous photographer, gifted. I mean, in the age of iPhones, it's just like, well, anybody's a photographer. You just point your phone and, you know, click, and there it is until you meet somebody who's a really great photographer with all of those skills. He is a run-to-the-thunder guy. He is um, a storm chaser. He's looking for the moment. You've seen those pictures when you, you catch it at just the right moment when the sky lights up and there's lightning and it, it splits into all these different, those fabulous pictures that are astonishing. He's chasing that moment. And though you can't hear it in the picture, you see it. And, it. and seeing it, you can almost feel it, right? The crash, the boom of the thunder. I'm a run towards the lightning, thunder kind of guy. Not everyone is. We spent some time years back when our girls were young living in Ontario, Canada. There was lots of great experiences about living in Ontario, Canada. Um... I'll state the, uh, the weather's different in Ontario, Canada. It gets cold and there's a lot of snow. I remember when we were there, it started snowing in like late September, early October. And they were like, already? Come on. It snows. Winter, winter's uh, long. The nights are long and dark. But what I didn't know is that on Ontario, they don't have thunderstorms like we have thunderstorms in Texas. And I had come from West Texas, and in West Texas, you can see them coming for a long ways, can't you? Steady building of the clouds. I miss that 
I think it's probably been, I don't know, when's the last time we had a good thunderstorm? I'm ready for one, aren't you? Tomorrow, let's, let's vote for tomorrow, one's coming. Listen, I say all of that just to draw us into this space where we stop to think, look, it depends on what you hear in the thunder. At this point in John's gospel, the question that's been building in John's telling of the story of the life of Jesus is really this one. It's when will God be glorified? God, when will you reveal and your glory be shown? When will your glory be known? And that question's building as John tells the story of Jesus' life. When will God get glorified? Conversation that takes place is really about when God gets glorified, and then you get to chapter 12, which isn't quite to the end because John is like 21 chapters in length. By the time you get to chapter 12, you get this conversation, this moment that we've just read about, where Jesus says, the hour has come. It's now. And if you just read John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20, as we did moments ago, you may miss the fact that they've been asking this question for a while. So when Jesus says, the hour has come, that's significant. It's now. It's right at hand. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, Jesus says. And then he says, and my heart is troubled about that, which may not make sense. If God's to be glorified, Jesus, if you're to glorify God, that doesn't seem like trouble. That seems like good news. But Jesus says, my heart, now my heart is troubled. My soul, my spirit, with the, the, the deepest seat of me is troubled. Jesus says, what shall I say though? Father, save me from this hour? No, he says. No, he asks the question. He answers his own question. No. And then he says those words. Father, glorify your name. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but I obviously have. It says that just at that moment, it thundered. Or at least some thought. It had thundered. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Some people think it's thunders. Others hear the word. It all depends on what you hear in the thunder, right? Here is what we're called to hear, you and I this morning, we're called to hear in, in the thunder. Jesus says that the glory of God, the glorification of God is revealed, takes place when? It takes place, he says, when I am lifted up. That phrase, when I am lifted up, is not referring to his ascension in John's gospel. It's not his ascension. You might think that that's a natural uh, explanation for that, but it's not what he means, and this becomes, he makes very clear, is when I'm lifted up on the cross, in his crucifixion, is the glorification of God, is when God gets glorified, when I'm lifted up, which is not what they're expecting. There are two paths into Jerusalem. One leads to the palace, the temple, um, it's beautiful in its splendor and its glory and its function. And the other leads through Jerusalem outside of town to the hill. Jesus moves toward the glorification of God when he is lifted up. It's either the palace or it's the hill. 
And what he means is that God is glorified as Jesus moves toward the hill, toward the cross. What they want it to mean, what I want it to mean, honestly, and what you want it to mean, is that God is glorified when he moves into the palace. But you know the story, right? That's not where Jesus goes. The move is not toward the palace, but it's toward the hill. Listen, as Jesus moves into Jerusalem to be lifted up, he makes his way toward the cross. And as we've spent time thinking about what it means to be a people gathered in a house of prayer and to take these words that Jesus offers us and we've, we've sort of pulled apart each phrase, right? We come to the end of that, pulling apart of each phrase. And now I want you to hear what we're doing in these last two or three weeks. And as we make our way through the season of Lent, the journey to the cross, toward the declaration the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, we are now allowing the prayer to become the lens through which we see and understand the story of Jesus. We are moving steadily now from Gethsemane, from the temple to the garden to the hill, Golgotha, where Jesus is lifted up. And in this moment, lean in and listen to the words of Jesus, who even as he's lifted up on the cross, prays. Do you hear the prayer of Jesus from the cross? The prayer of Jesus from the cross and the words read for us this morning are these. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus' address is from the deepest part of his being directed to the Father, my God, my God. In anguish he prays, why have you forsaken me? He, he takes those words that were penned by the psalmist that they would all know and he draws them forward. And if you read the rest of that psalm, you'll see all of the connections. He is in that moment pouring his soul out in anguish. In John 12, my spirit, my soul is troubled. Why have you forsaken me? Why, O oh God, have you abandoned me? This is the prayer that Jesus prays in the glorification of the Father. It's Matthew, in Matthew's telling where Jesus prays, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He has walked the path to the cross and been mocked at almost every turn. His own followers, who had dropped their nets and abandoned their uh, work and their families to follow Jesus and had walked along and heard his teachings at every turn, they all abandoned him, right? His own people, he had been raised deeply connected to the life of God through the sons and daughters of Abraham, who God had claimed to be his own, had abandoned him conspired against him with the Romans. He walks that path alone. He stands before Pilate. And in that moment of questioning, looks around. I'm um, using some interpretation here. To see if there's any who will stand 
in testimony for him. And no one does. He's alone, abandoned. There is Judas who walks up and looks him in the eye and kisses him on the cheek. It's like a handshake. The signal of his betrayal. There's Judas who turns and walks away from him, leaving him abandoned. And then I want you to see that there is Judas who in the act of betrayal is himself left in a place of deep and dark despair. And so after you get the story of Jesus's trial, you get the story of Judas's betrayal, and then you get the story of Judas taking his own life. He is an abandoned one. These are the God-forsaken places. Jesus prays from the God-forsaken place, the abandoned place, the place where one is alone in their own brokenness, in their own suffering, in their own angst, the God-forsaken place. This is the place that Jesus prays from. And this is the prayer he prays. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And not only that, but in this moment, when you can hear the thunder begin to rumble in the distance, but it hasn't quite reached you yet, he's not only pointing towards that place on the cross, but he's inviting them to come along. He says to his disciples, whoever serves me must follow me and where I am, He says in that moment, where I am, my servants will be also. Well, where is he going? Where's he going? He's going to the cross and he's imploring them to come with him. Whoever serves me must follow me and where I am, my servants also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. And he is imploring them, inviting them, calling them to come along, to participate in the glorification of the Father through the Son lifted up on the cross. It's Jesus's journey, but it's the one he's inviting them to take too, right? In fact, all along the way, he's been gathering up a community of ones who dwell in the God-forsaken places, who know what it is to be abandoned, the God-forsaken ones. He's been gathering them up along the way. This leper, who by way of his affliction, you know, lepers are exiled outside of the community. It is a public health issue. They're quarantined, the lepers are, and left alone in their affliction. Don't you imagine they know what it is to pray? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or those who are permanently or chronically disabled paralytics, broken ones who I'm telling you are cast out of society. They're a drain on society. They are a burden to bear. These are the ones who feel in the brokenness and affliction of their bodies, they feel cut off, left to own this same prayer. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or for those perhaps by virtue of of their own choice and circumstance, liars and cheats and tax collectors, or ones caught in the acts of adultery, the breach of relationships and sexual fidelity, the exiled ones, the forsaken ones. 
Isn't it interesting that you cannot move through the story of Jesus's, Jesus that's told in the gospel without noting that Jesus is always connecting to these people, gathering them up. Let any of you who have not sinned cast the first stone. He, he kneels down to say, get up. Is anyone here who condemns you? Neither do I condemn you. He is the friend of the sick and the broken. He's the friend of sinners. He's gathering a community of those who feel as though they are alone and isolated and abandoned. He is a friend of the poor and the disenfranchised. You cannot read and know the story of Jesus without knowing that he moves in these ways. All those places where individuals might feel that they are alone, that they are disconnected, that they are cut off, that they do not have the deepest longing of their heart to be connected and a part of the community of God's loved ones. Jesus is gathering them up. And even when the religious people, his own religious people, ostracize him for it, he continues to move toward the God-forsaken ones. Why? Because the glorification of the Father in the exaltation of the Son is on the cross, the God-forsaken place the God-forsaken place. All of them utterly broken, scared and alone in the God-forsaken place. And I like to think that those who are afflicted in their bodies, who live with constant affliction in their bodies, you know, the thing about that is they cannot escape the reality that something is not quite right, which is different than you and I, who perhaps do not experience routinely day in and day out brokenness in our bodies, we can pretend as though we're okay. I wonder which is more dangerous to our well-being. Really, Jesus is gathering all of us up who, when we get to the most honest place about ourselves, know that we too are the broken, afflicted, cut-off ones and live wrestling with this sense of being abandoned by God, God forsaken. And some of us experience that because we've experienced it in others who in the relationships that mean the most to us, that occupy uh, how, we, how we think about the world and ourselves and we identify ourselves, those relationships where we feel like we've been abandoned, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay, this, this isn't, these words, the prayer that Jesus prays when he invites us to come along with him, come along, whoever, whoever wants to, to be my servant will go to the places that I am going. He's inviting us to find ourselves alongside with him as those who experience in one way or another the abandonment of God. We don't like to talk about that much in church. Church is not the place where you talk about being abandoned by God. Church is the place where you talk about being found by God. But the truth is, you can't talk about being found by God until you're willing to sit with the reality, the experience of being alone. So, I think maybe this is where the confusion sets in. Where we hear the thunder, we sort of are infatuated by it, but we miss the glory. Because we want the glory to be about something else. The crowds are confused. They say in John 12, we have heard from the law 
that the Messiah will remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? They're confused. Because Jesus, if you're making your way to the glorification of the Father, you must be going to the palace, not to the hill. And Jesus says, no. Until you go to that place, you cannot know the glorification of the Father. They're confused, they're bewildered, and it's every device that we can muster to avoid the God-forsaken place. We hear the thunder, but we miss the glory, at least the glory that Jesus is talking about here. So look, um, some years back, I preached for, I guess it was about 10 years in Buffalo Gap, just south of Abilene. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. About 10 years, I, um, teaching at ACU, that was my job, but also preaching in Buffalo Gap. I don't know if you know much about West Texas. Some of you are more familiar with West Texas than others, but in West Texas, it's flat. You go from Abilene to Lubbock, and it's flat and um, pretty desolate. Um, there are some trees, but they're not the kind anyone likes unless you're going to like cook a steak over mesquite wood. That's good wood for that, but not much for scenery. Scraggly little things, mesquite trees. Except it's interesting because just south of Abilene, if you drive south, there are these hills. It's like a little bit of the hill country snuck into West Texas and, and somebody let them stay. And they form a little valley, a gap between these little hills. And I guess because in that valley, water ran through, big oak trees grew up. Texas live oaks, not just the scraggly mesquites in Buffalo Gap. It's kind of idyllic, that little community. And as you wind your way through the road, you know, if you're coming from Abilene and you're interested in going out to Perini's for a steak, uh, you'll pass the little stone Church of Christ building on your left. I preached for 10 years at that little church. And not far from that little church building was a community of utterly broken ones. I'm not exaggerating. It's not dramatic. Utterly broken ones. There is in Buffalo Gap a fairly well-known all over the country, perhaps even around the world, a treatment center for addictions. They focus mostly on eating disorders, anorexia and bulimia, and the sources of those. It's a place where those who, for any number of reasons, feel God-forsaken and alone can come and find healing under the shade of these big Texas live oaks. You know what the name of that treatment facility is? Any of you? If you do, don't say it. Just raise your hand. Any of you heard of it? No? It's been around for a long time. It's called Shades of Hope. It's called Shades of Hope. Famous people come there. They work really hard to keep that under wraps. Celebrities. I'll just tell you what. Winona Judd hung out at Shades of Hope. And if you, I don't mind sharing that one because if you know the judge, you can follow her story, her family story. She did time at Shades of Hope to find healing. Not far from there, really, it's actually just on the same side of the road, is a trailer park. Beautiful, idyllic. This is a, 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 a no-stoplight little town. 413 people in the city limits proper. Is a little trailer park. These are, um, these are not manufactured homes. <laughs> these are trailer trailer parks. 
And the people who live there are trying to scratch out a little bit of life because they just don't have much. And it's an uphill climb. I guess I'm bringing forward those things to say that there is, in many places, in many ways, there is this feeling, there are those around us who feel as though they occupy a God-forsaken place. My God, my God, why have you... If you land at Shades of Hope, you're thinking, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you live day in and day out, having to decide, as some of our friends in Buffalo Gap did, whether you were going to be able to pay for the medicine you needed to stay alive or to pay to keep the electricity on, sometimes you're praying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you know what? If there's any people anywhere who have eyes to see and who are looking for the glorification of the Father in the exaltation of the Son on the cross, shouldn't it be you and I who go in the way of Jesus? Who are looking around all those places in this community and those that surround it, in every place where God sends us and we live and move, we are drawn towards the God-forsaken places. We not only pray for the God-forsaken place, we pray from the God-forsaken place alongside the God-forsaken. Because this is where, ironically, irony of all ironies, this is where the glorification of the Father in the exaltation of the Son on the cross of Jesus is to be found. You want to see the glory of God? Look for it there in the God-forsaken place. You want to hear the voice of God declaring, I have glorified it. You want to hear it in the thunder? Listen for it there in the God-forsaken place. And here's the thing. It's us too. The God-forsaken ones are not only those out there. We are the community of those who experience and own that in our own brokenness, we are alone as well. And it's what leads us to anticipate the death of Jesus as the glorification of the Father so that we might know the resurrection to new life. I can't think of any better way to proclaim good news gospel than that. You don't get to Easter Sunday without going through Good Friday. And you don't get to put Good Friday in the rearview mirror as if we don't all still live in these broken, God-forsaken places. Look, I would hope that whatever work that God is doing among his people here, and I believe that God is doing, moving, working among his people here, he is calling us to be a community of those who dwell and pray from the God-forsaken place as an act of faithfulness. My God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? And that whatever shame we might have felt or feel about admitting that we sometimes live with that brokenness, that God by his grace and his mercy and by the power of his spirit would peel that away so that we can live more authentically dependent upon the mercy of God who hears us in that moment. I want to invite you to to listen in the thunder. Listen in the thunder. I want to invite you to listen. You know, I, um, you, you may have noticed that before service starts, as we're starting to gather in the last few minutes, that 
Um, I've asked my friends to play a certain song, and so you'll hear it playing, and then we'll, we start our service. And, and then I've asked them, in many cases, to play that same thing as we're dismissed and we're visiting with each other and we're, God is sending us out of here. And, and so you may or may not pay attention to that, but I'm calling it out this morning because the song that was played earlier and the song that will be played as you leave says this, I am not alone. You are not alone. We are not alone. We are the community of those who, in our own brokenness, are gathered up by God. So, um, as we, we're going to stand and sing together, we're going to turn our hearts more fully toward God. We're going to own that part of the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray in the end when he says, the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours is, points us toward the glorification of the Father in the God-forsaken place. That yes, we are those who emerge, who, who find our place at the foot of the cross with Jesus, who calls us there, and who cry out, my God, my God, and who are dependent upon the grace and the mercy of God. And if for you that means to come and to find uh, your way here and to have the shepherds of this church pray over you, invite others to stand with you and pray over you, to step into the waters of baptism to claim new life, and today to gather around the table of the Lord to remember this place, the glorification of the Father and the exaltation of the Son and the cross of Jesus Christ. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the prayer of Jesus too. Let's stand together and sing.